Thank you, John and Pippi. Well, I wonder if you've got a Bible at home. Do grab one if you have uh, one nearby. I think it would be a real help to have that passage open in front of you. Hebrews chapter 1. On December 27th, 2018, when most of us were taking a post-Christmas break, Jean-Jacques Sauvin, a 71-year-old Frenchman, cast off from the Spain's Canary Islands in a barrel-shaped orange capsule. Here it is on the screen. In the hope that the ocean currents alone would help him to cross the Atlantic Ocean. His reinforced capsule contained a sleeping bunk, kitchen, and storage. Amazingly, he achieved his goal and arrived safely in the Caribbean 122 days later. Now, drifting might be an unusual and exciting way to cross the Atlantic, but it's a disastrous way to approach everyday life. And yet, that's what many people do. Just drift along, go wherever the current takes them. And drifting can happen to Christians too. We can start off the Christian life full of enthusiasm and dedication, but over time find ourselves drifting away from our Saviour and Lord, from his church and from Christ-like living. And now, with this ongoing pandemic, there are new opportunities for spiritual drift. We don't have the usual regular encouragement of seeing other Christians in person to help keep us on track. And in the book of Hebrews, our Bible book of the term, spiritual drift is one of the key challenges that the letter is written to address. The focus of the very first instruction of the letter we can find in chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we've heard so that we do not drift away. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves in exactly the same situation, drifting spiritually further and further away from Jesus, carried on the currents of secular culture further and further away from our maker. And what the letter of Hebrews uh, encourages us to do in the words of chapter 12, verse 2, which we heard reminded of earlier in our service, is rather than drift, to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Our verse for the whole year here at St. Mary's. We're going to make it our goal to use this new lockdown, not to drift, but to grow deeper, to get to know Jesus better. So that in our weariness, this ongoing crisis, we do not lose heart, but actually we grow through it. And as uh, we saw earlier, uh, it's a bit like an art gallery, the book of Hebrews, with different portraits of Jesus as we go through it. And each room of the gallery has one great painting that gives us a different aspect of Jesus' person and character and ministry. So it's a great adventure that we're embarking upon. Hebrews wants us to stop, to take in the view, to remind ourselves of why it's worth holding on to Jesus each and every day. Now, there's lots I could tell you about in terms of the, the, the way Hebrews is uh, written and who wrote it, we think. But I'm not going to do that now. I'm going to do that this evening at 7 o'clock. I'm going to be introducing the letter, particularly to those who are going to be preaching the series and small group leaders. But you're all welcome to join in this evening. You can find the link on the website, on our uh, What's On page. Do join me for those things. But for now, I want to focus on t- two reasons 
why we should fix our eyes on Jesus. The first one is this, that he is God's son. He is God's son. In Jewish thinking, there are three sorts of conscious beings, a bit like those traffic light ice lollies, you know, the three layers. There were humans and angels, including fallen angels like Satan and God. God at the top, angels in the middle, and human beings at the bottom. And the key issue for these Christian believers from a Jewish background is in which category should we put Jesus? Their Jewish friends, like many of our friends today, put Jesus in the human category, below the angels. And given that the Jews believed that it was angels that God used to deliver the law to Moses, in their minds, the law of Moses trumped the words of Jesus. So they were sticking to Moses and putting all sorts of pressure on these young Christians to reject Jesus and come back to Judaism. So our author begins with a very clear statement of who Jesus is and which category he falls into. Have a look at that opening verse again. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And then verse four, so he, that is Jesus, became as much superior to the angels as the name he's inherited is superior to theirs. So the Bible here clearly puts Jesus not below the angels, where some would like to put him, but far, far above them. And the question is, how far above them? What does it mean to call Jesus God's son? And chapter 1 of Hebrews helps us to find the answer. We're given two images, two illustrations of the relationship between the son and the father God. And we looked at these briefly on Christmas Day, if you remember. Verse 3 describes Jesus as being the radiance of God's glory. Just as the sun's rays reveal to us what the sun is like, because they possess the same nature as the sun, so Christ reveals God because in his being, he is of the same essence as God. Just as we experience the heat of the sun through its rays, so we experience the warmth of the Father's love through the sun. And then the second image is of a seal etched with a crest or shield being pressed into melted wax. The wax imprint gives a clear impression of the seal, so that when you receive the letter, as that's how they used to send them in uh, olden times, uh, with this wax mark, you would know exactly who it had come from. That's the sort of relationship that Jesus has with the Almighty God. Jesus represents his Father to us precisely. He's the exact representation, we're told, of God's being. There is nothing we might want to know about God's character and plans that Jesus does not reveal. We can be confident when we invite Jesus into our lives, we're inviting God himself into our lives. So when we are thinking of what category we should use to describe Jesus, man, angel, or God, the most accurate category is, is God. And although that is mind-blowing, it best describes who Jesus is. In the past, Jesus was the one through whom the universe was made, we're told in the opening verses of Hebrews. In the present, he sustains everything. And in the future, he is the one who will be the heir and for whom everything is destined. Everything belongs to Jesus then on earth and in heaven 
in this age and in the age to come. He is, as a result, so much superior to the angels that they bow down and worship him in the same way that they worship God the Father. Now, much of our life is spent looking for what is superior. Which knife has the superior blade and will last the longest? Which car is the most fuel efficient and the best value for money? Which bottle of wine or loaf of bread has the best flavor? Which vaccine will be the best one to get? Everything, every day we crave that which is superior. And here in Jesus, we have the most superior man who has ever lived, whose life and teaching cannot be bettered, who is more than a man, who exactly represents in his person the being who created us. By fixing our eyes on Jesus, we are fixing our eyes on something solid, settled, certain, superior. When early navigators sought to cross the seas, they didn't trust the currents of the sea to guide them. They looked at the sun by day and the stars by night. Those fixed, is it the north star, that fixed point in the night sky. The the writer of Hebrews spends the rest of his opening chapter showing us how the prophets in various ways point us to the sun's superiority over the angels and some of the implications of all this for Christian believers. We'll look just very briefly at three Let me just show them to you. Firstly, angels serve, but Jesus reigns. Verse 14, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? But verse 8 about the Son, he says, O God, you will last forever and ever. So angels serve, but Jesus reigns. His first task is to build the church and then the time will come to reorder creation. And we see that in the next implication. The earth will perish, but Jesus remains. Verse 10, he also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands, but they will perish, but you will remain. You will roll them up like a robe, like a garment they will be changed, but you will remain the same and your years will never end. In other words, only that which is in Christ will remain. Everything else will come to a stop. Of course, we must look after the world wisely while we have it. But one day, whatever we do, it will perish. Only that which is incorporated into Christ will remain. Culture shifts and collapses. What we thought was the right thing to do, we find is the wrong thing to do. That's in culture's eyes. But Jesus provides a solid place for the human soul to find safe lodging. Solid and certain. And then a third implication, prophets spoke, but Jesus still speaks God's word to us. That goes back to the first verse of chapter one. Hebrews makes a distinction between the prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus. They spoke in the past, but the son, Jesus, speaks in these last days, by which is meant the time between Jesus' first coming and his promised return second coming, his return one day. So what is God's word to us today? It's still the word of Jesus. Jesus is God's word to us. We don't need anything else. We don't need new prophets. We don't need a more up-to-date message. Jesus is all we need to live on earth in a way that pleases God. What he spoke, he still speaks. Well, that's our first point this morning. Fix your eyes on Jesus because he is God's son. 
And let's just pause there and let's sing a song to take in the fact that Jesus is God and he's the same today, yesterday and forever. Let's sing this lovely song at home as we just take in that first point together. So what was our first point this morning? It was to fix our eyes on Jesus because he is God's son. But one of the questions that might be asked as a result of that, though, is can we love such a Jesus? Could we fix our eyes on this majestic, divine Jesus, or we have to shade our eyes from such a being? Would the glare be too bright? Would we be left to turn away in fear and shame, as many people do with Jesus? Well, that's not all that Hebrews chapter 1 has to show us. And our second point is that we should fix our eyes on Jesus because he is our saviour. What Jesus has done for us is provide a means by which we can be completely cleansed and purified from our sins and made right with God. The second half of verse 3, if you saw your Bible's open, after he had provided purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Wash your hands when you come to dinner, says the parent to their children. I want you to clean your hands before you eat your food. The wise parent knows that if there is anything impure on their child's hands, that it might taint the good food that they are being given. And what they hope will make them healthy and strong will instead make them sick and weak. And not just that, the, the germ, that the virus, invisible to the human eye, might be passed on to others and make them sick as well. Sin has a similar effect. It stains the soul, makes that which should be clean and pure and healthy, unclean and impure and diseased. And whenever we lie or we lust or we envy or we steal or we lie or do something unkind or we fail to do something that we could do for another human being, or whenever we worship something or someone in the place of our creator, we sin and another stain blots our soul. And we are not fitting to come into God's presence and sit down to table with him, to stand where the God of the Bible stands, is to stand on truth and goodness and purity. And if none of those things are wholly true of us, if we've allowed lies or evil or impurity to take up residence in our soul, then we must stand apart from God, to some extent compromised. We certainly cannot stand where God stands. And of course, over a lifetime, the stain on our souls just grows and grows. And the distance between us and and God just gets greater and greater. Perhaps we look to religion, people do, to make a way back to purify us. Islam will require of you endless ritual washing before you enter the mosque. But how do you wash the soul? Well, what Jesus has done is to provide a final and complete purification for our sins. He offers in exchange his one pure, perfect life in substitution for our imperfect, impure lives. One life for many. Because of whose life that is, the only Son of God. Like a purification tablet working its way through a bottle of impure water, Jesus' blood shed on the cross works its way through a believing heart and washes it clean, making that which was impure, pure again. 
So that God can invite us to his table and say, come and sit and eat with me. And because of who it was, he made the sacrifice. It doesn't have to be repeated over and over again. Jesus' death cleanses us from all our sins. And that's why Jesus, the verse 3 goes on to tell us that when Jesus had uh, died on the cross and rose again, he went back to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. His work is finished. His job is done. A way has been provided by which all people everywhere can be washed clean from their sins and made new again. There is nothing more for him to do. It's in this sacrifice of his own life that we see the depth of Jesus' love for us. Here is no distant God issuing orders from on high, but rather one who sees our need and what it will cost to put it right, and then who himself pays personally the price to put things right. And that is why so many people all over the world love Jesus so much. What we could not do and could never do for ourselves, Jesus does for us. What, as Hebrews describes, a great salvation we have if we put our trust in Jesus Christ and say to him, Jesus, please save me. Please wash me clean. And I wonder if you've actually done that. Said those words to Jesus, dear Jesus, wash me clean. Be my saviour. Why not take the time to do that at home today? When we look away, we can so easily forget the power of the cross. And that's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Which brings us to the beginning of chapter 2 and the way in which our writer gets us to fix our eyes on Jesus as uh, just a couple of points from that chapter, uh, opening a few verses as we finish. Chapter 2, verse 1, we read, we must pay attention to what we have heard about this great salvation. So perhaps you're happy with your current level of knowledge about who Jesus is and what he's done for you. But Hebrews says, don't stop there. Press on. Pay, if you have a look at the verse, he says, pay more careful attention. In other words, keep going. Make it your goal to know Jesus better this year. The danger is if we're not pressing on, that we'll be plateauing, or worse than that, start going backwards in our faith. And that's what seems to have happened to some of the readers to which Hebrews is written. Some had started to drift away. They started to ignore other Christians' texts and emails, so to speak. They stopped coming to church regularly. They didn't bother watching online. They started ignoring their leaders. And Hebrews gives them his first warning. How will you escape if you ignore such a great salvation, he says. If we let go of our Savior, all we're left with is unforgiven sin and a rather uncomfortable appointment ahead of us with a holy God one day. So pay, he says, more careful attention. Don't, and this is our second point of application here, don't drift away. And the word for drift here means just, it's a picture of a, of a raft or a boat just drifting on the sea without an anchor to hold it steady or a pilot to chart the right course. Don't, he says, drift away. Don't that happen to you. Don't let the pandemic be the time when, when you drifted away from Christian faith. Cling on to Jesus. Make him your captain, your skipper. Fix your eyes on where he leads. 
And as we go into this uh, third lockdown, I want to suggest a few practical things we can do to help us not to drift. More than ever, can I encourage you to be in one of our St. Mary's small groups? We need each other and the encouragement and fellowship that others provide. We don't want anyone to go through this lockdown on their own. And it's obviously it's not the same, not being physically together, but actually it's much better, these online groups, than you might think. I've been greatly encouraged by them. And then if you think, well, I don't want to be part of a, a long-term uh, uh, small group, but I'd encourage you to be, have that long-term encouragement. Uh, what we're going to offer this term, I can find down here, is some book groups. And uh, this book is a great book, Gentle and Lowly. It was a great hit of last year. Dane Ortland. It's, it's a book about the heart of Christ and getting to really think about what's on his heart and discover wonderfully that we're on his heart. So perhaps you'd like to be part of a book group. Just get in touch, hello at stmaryscheshire.org and uh, say, yes, I'd like to, to find out about that. And perhaps we get one or two groups going. And then... Why not on your own dig deeper into the Bible and use uh, a daily resource to take you through Hebrews in more depth? And this little um, study guide, Hebrews, uh, there are 26 undated devotions to take you through the book of Hebrews. Uh, you can uh, get it uh, an e-book or you can get a physical copy. And again, the link's on our e-bulletin or on um, the website. And then um, what else? Well, a book club I hope we'll do after half term, but you might like to get the book now, is this book, Gospel-Centered Family, uh, Becoming the Parents God Wants You to Be. This is a time of particular pressure on families. And uh, what is it that call you to be a parent at this time, to help your children, for them not to drift as well, to, to stay close to Christ. It's a really good practical book that I hope to, um, many of us can enjoy and look at together after half term. So some practical suggestions to keep close to Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus because he is God's son and fix your eyes on Jesus because he's our saviour. And look, we've only just begun. In this wonderful gallery, there in the front hall is this magnificent portrait of Jesus, the radiating, the glory of God, the son of God. Better than a painting, all right, has used words to paint this glorious picture for us. Let your eyes linger on the canvas. Fill your imagination. Come back and mull on it over the week. Join me in saying in your hearts, here is Jesus, God's Son, our Saviour. Here is my Lord. Here is my Saviour. Let's pray together. Can we say to Jesus, now in our hearts, you are God's son. I acknowledge your superiority. This world will perish, but you will remain. Let us say to Jesus, you are my saviour. I am thankful that your death washes away the debt and impurity of my sins. And as you have so deeply loved me, I want to show my love to you this week in following you and learning from you. For we ask this in Jesus' precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.